0: I don't know about the rest of y'all, but when I was a kid, I was terrible in English. I was terrible in a lot of different ways, but particularly English class in school. I think back to elementary school, and I can, I can remember this. The teacher giving assignments, so we were in rows, and the first person in the row had to read the first paragraph, second person, second paragraph, third person, third paragraph. And I was petrified because it's not that I didn't know how to read I just didn't know what a paragraph was. I'm not sure where I was supposed to stop. I knew where to start, where the other person stopped, but I didn't know where I was supposed to stop. I knew what a sentence was, wherever the period was, that the, but I didn't know about the indent for the next paragraph to begin. I just was terrible in English. And you older folks, remember diagramming sentences? Do you guys still do that today in, like, middle school? Is that part of the common core, or do you guys throw that stuff out? Diagram of sentences. Rich, you remember. Chris, you remember. I hated that. I just didn't know what to do. I couldn't, couldn't do it. And then later, when I got into Bible college, I had five semesters of New Testament Greek. And that's where I learned in college how to diagram sentences. And I actually know all that different stuff today. And then writing papers. Some of my classmates were great at writing papers. I was terrible at it. I didn't know you know, how to, how to do research and put it into logical thoughts and, and write it down. I just I was terrible at writing papers. And guess what I do for a living now? I and mean, I do all that different stuff. And I do know what a paragraph is today. I, do, I, I love words. I, I love studying the meaning of words, the history of words. Where did this word come from? What does it mean? And I love when I speak, and I do a lot of speaking and writing now. I love using descriptive, demonstrative words When I speak and write. I like learning words in other languages. Uh, 1999 was the first time I had left the country and went to the country of Haiti. And I learned some Haitian words, Creole words. Cote toilette la. Do you know what that means? Where's the bathroom? That was an important phrase for me to learn when I went there. I was just in Tanzania a few months ago and I learned the word asante. Asante means thank you. And I learned the word caribou. We think that's an animal, but that means you're welcome in Swahili. So I like learning different languages and what words are. And this week, I was thinking of words that are both nouns and verbs. A noun is a person, place, or thing, and a verb is an action word. And there are words that are both nouns and verbs. I wrote a few of them down here, like the word saw. Saw is something you do or you in the past tense have seen, and it's also an object, chainsaw or a handsaw. It's a noun and a verb. Fish. Fish is something you do. It's also a noun. It's an an animal. Paddle. You can paddle verb. You can paddle verb, and Christopher is going to learn that in the next few years, what that's all about. But it's also an object. You can use a paddle, and we had a really nice, do we still have that paddle, honey? We haven't had to use that in at least a few weeks thunder thunder is a verb and a noun it's something and it's also an action punch is an action it's also something that you drink iron is an action and it's also an object rock is something that you can do and it's also something that you can hold and you can throw through a window if you're a child toast cheers you can make a toast you can eat some toast tie is something that you do and is anybody wearing a tie this morning? I was writing this this week and I was wondering, will anybody wear a tie? Have we? Amen. Man, praise God. No ties this morning. Milk is something, and maybe I shouldn't even put that on the list. It's something you can do, and it's also an object, something you can drink. Witness is something that you are, a noun. It's also something that you do. Skate is something that you do. It's also an object. And we could go on. We could probably come up with a hundred different words. We're right now in a seven-part series about the Apostle Peter. He was Jesus' top leader. And we're looking at different ways that we can be leaders like Peter was. Looking at things in his life. And the word to describe Peter today is both a noun and a verb. It's the word shepherd. Shepherd is a noun. It is an actual person, an object. But it's also a verb. It's something that we do. Something that we are. Something that we do. Um, And we're going to look at how Peter, Jesus told Peter to be a shepherd, to shepherd God's people. Uh, We talk at Freedom Bible Church about making disciples, be disciple makers. You might think, What do those words mean? Well, it, well, we'll learn about that today, but that's what Jesus told us to do, is to make disciples, and we do that by shepherding people. Let's get a little bit of context about Peter. We're going to be in the book of John today, John chapter 21. The incident in John 21 took place about 12 days after Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus was crucified on a Friday. He rose from the dead on a Sunday. And then about 12 days after that, John 21 takes place. After Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday, He appeared. He appeared to five different people five different times on that Sunday. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene. He appeared first to a woman in John 20, verse 14. After that he he appeared to a group of other women in Matthew 28:9. Then that same day he appeared to two guys walking on a road to the town of Emmaus. That was in Luke 24:15. After that, he briefly appeared to Peter in Luke 24:34. And then at the end of that day he appeared to all the disciples except for the disciple Thomas in Luke 24:36. That happened all on that Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead. The next time we see him is a week later. The next Sunday, he appeared to all the disciples. This time, Thomas was with him in John twenty twenty-six, That took place in Jerusalem. Today in John 21, Jesus appears to them in Galilee. It's about a four-day walk from Jerusalem to Galilee. And so this is about, uh, this is about day 12 after Jesus was resurrected. Let me show you a picture of the Sea of Galilee. We're going to start off with our guys in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is going to meet them on the shore, probably up here on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, somewhere between Capernaum and Bethsaida. And here is where this is all taking place. And we have a picture. So here's the Sea of Galilee. Here is the shore on the northern edge of that sea. This is We don't know for sure, but this is a good guess as to where this whole thing unfolded. So if you can imagine, about 100 yards out, a boat on the sea. These guys are fishing. Jesus is on the shore here. And here's a little trick. Three times, Jesus is going to ask Peter, do you love me? And look, there's three rocks there that are heart-shaped. Jesus must have chiseled them and then left them there so we would know exactly where it took place. No, that's not true. You know that, right? That somebody put those rocks there later. But this is probably right around the same vicinity where all that took place. Well, let's jump in. John 21. Verse 1, later, about four days later, after he had just been with all the disciples, later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. We just saw that on the map. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Okay, Simon Peter, here's our boy, Peter. Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee. The sons of Zebedee, their names are James and John. And then two other disciples. They don't even bother to name those guys. So there's seven of these guys together. Verse 3, Peter said, hey, I'm going fishing. Well, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out into the boat, and they caught nothing all night. Now, you might say, well, no wonder they caught nothing. They were fishing at night. Those idiots, don't they know you're not supposed to fish at night? Well, in that culture, they did fish at night. Two reasons why. First of all, after they catch their fish at night, they get to shore, they clean the fish, they sell them in the market that morning. People want fresh fish. They don't want to catch fish and have them be a day-old fish. You want them fresh, so they fished at night. Also, the fish in that region, Galilee is about 500 feet below sea level, so it's always temperate and warm in that area in Galilee. They don't get snow in Galilee, but it gets cooler um, at night. It's warm during the day all the year round, so at the daytime the fish go down low to where it's cooler. At night, they rise up, so you go fishing at night to catch them closer to the surface, dropping the nets on, catching more that way. So they're fishing at night. At dawn, verse 4, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. They saw a guy there, 100 yards away. Well, Jesus called out, Hey, fellas, have you caught any fish? No. They replied, verse 6, well, then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. Now, this sounds familiar to these guys because two years before this, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus was with them in the boat and he told them to do the same thing. They weren't catching anything. He said, put your nets on the other side and they caught a bunch. So it was like, oh, wait a minute. This sounds really familiar. Could it be? Is that guy on the shore? Could that be Jesus who told us to do this two years before? Put your nets on the other side. You'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Verse 7. Then the disciple Jesus loved. Who's this? Doesn't name. His name's John. In fact, we talked about this at our men's disciple group last Sunday, if you guys remember, that were there. The disciple Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, Hey! It's the Lord. I want to point out something here. While Jesus was living with his disciples for three and a half years before he was crucified and rose again, they referred to Jesus as master. They referred to Jesus as rabbi. They referred to Jesus as teacher. But never did they refer to him as the Lord. But after Jesus died and rose again, they recognize Jesus, he's not just the Messiah, because they believe that. He's not just the Christ, the Savior. They believe that. They didn't realize beforehand that Jesus, the Messiah, he was indeed God. He was divine. And so now they're calling him the Lord, recognizing Jesus that he is God. He's not just a good teacher. He is God. They recognize that It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. Now, he wasn't stripped naked. There were two layers of garments. They had their undergarment, which was a thinner linen, and then the outer garment, which was the tunic. You take the tunic off so you can fish, and you've got more mobility. Um, You don't have to worry about it getting ruined and getting all smelly from fishing and stuff, uh, all smelly from sweating. So he put on his tunic, He jumped in the water and headed to shore. Now, this was an impulsive move because your tunic would make you heavier and weigh you down. So why did he put on his tunic and then jump in the water? You ever see the movie Forrest Gump? Forrest is on his boat and he's fishing for shrimp and then he's driving and there on the dock is Lieutenant Dan. And Forrest is like, Lieutenant Dan, and he just gets up and he starts walking and he walks right off the boat (laughs) into the water and swims. He didn't think it was an impulsive move because he saw somebody that he really wanted to go and get to. He saw somebody that he really loved and admired. And Peter, this is an impulsive move. I know we just saw Jesus four days ago, but man, it's him. It's the Lord. I gotta go see him. Mindlessly throws on the tunic, jumps in, and swims ashore with the extra weight of that of that tunic. Verse eight The others, the other disciples, the other six guys, they stayed in the boat, they pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards away. Verse 9, when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. There was already fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. And this is some of the questions that go through my mind, and I don't have good answers for it. Where did Jesus get the bread? It's early in the morning, it's breakfast time, it's, it's, it's sun's rising, these guys are just getting done fishing. Where did you get the Where do you have the fish from already? Did he already catch it? He had it there waiting for them. I don't have the answers to those questions, but let's just look at what's going on here. Jesus is there on shore, and he's telling those guys, "Listen, I know what's going on in your life out there a hundred yards away. I know you're not catching any fish, even though I can't see what's in the boat. What's not in the, not in the boat? I know what's going on." Jesus knows what's going on in each one of our lives. Maybe you feel like you've been fishing and coming up empty in your business, in your life, in your relationships. Jesus knows what's going on. And what he's doing here by having that bread and the fish is he's saying, I'm here to help you. Now, Jesus is not our butler where he's waiting to obey our every command and do everything we want him to. He loves us. He is for us. He said, I'm here to help you catch these fish, and I'm I'm also here to refresh you. I've got breakfast waiting for you. You've been working all night. And if you've ever seen the show on television, Deadliest Catch, or seen these fishermen working all night, these guys come into the mess hall, and they're famished, man. They're just plowing through food, going through calories. I read this book called Undaunting Courage. ...about Lewis and Clark and their journey to find the headwaters of the Missouri River. These guys, they were they were just paddling this boat upstream. They weren't going with the current, against the current. These guys had to eat six pounds of meat a day to account for all the calories that they were losing. Imagine these guys working hard all night. These fishermen, they're coming to shore. They're hungry. And Jesus has breakfast for them. He's there to refresh them. So, in our lives, we want to remember... Jesus is aware of what's going on. He's here to help us, refresh us, but we don't want to ever forget who the Lord is. John knew who it was. Peter knew who it was. Jesus is the Lord. So as a church, at Freedom Bible Church, we talk about we want to make disciples like Jesus. We want to teach His Word well. We also want to make much of God. We want to give Him highest praise highest recognition. We read in the Bible this morning we want to extol him and we want to do that. But don't forget he cares. He's aware and he's interested and he helps and he refreshes. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. Some of the fish you've just caught. He said bring some of the fish you've just caught Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and he dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish and yet the net hadn't torn. What's the significance of this? Let's ask the question first. Does anybody know what kind of fish these were? They don't name it. Does anybody know it? Praise God they weren't carp. Can you imagine what a letdown that would be? Hey, here's some big fish. They're carp. That would be terrible. No, they caught tilapia. Tilapia is a high-end fish in the Sea of Galilee there. Generally about 12 inches long. I've eaten them twice. Brian and Lisa, did you guys eat tilapia while we were there? So it's a very good fish, 12 to 15 inches, large fish. What's the significance of 153? Why is that even named here? Just two weeks before this, in John 15, 3, 1, 5, 3, Jesus said, You are already clean because of the word spoken to you. So Jesus was using a teaching technique here to tell them that they were forgiven. Isn't that cool? Might sound cool, but it's bunk. I'm just making that up. That's not true at all. They didn't even have John 15, 3 listed. But I'm telling you this because there are some false Bible teachers and preachers. You'll find them on the radio. You'll find them on TV. You'll find them in churches that make up junk like that. That's just complete nonsense. They would say like, you know, that 153 that's the number of God's blessing. So if you send $153 in to my ministry, God will bless you. They'll say stuff like that. Or they'll say, the 153rd day of the year, that's June 1st, or June 2nd normally, but this year it's a leap year, so June 1st is the 153rd. And if on June 1st you will fast and pray, God will bless you. They'll make up stuff like that, and it's simply not true. It's fall, I mean, I've heard people say... Ten is the number of God's blessing. There were ten lepers that Jesus healed, and then he, that was a blessing on them. So you've got to give ten percent because that's the number of God's blessing. Don't believe nonsense like that. Because 153, they just counted them because there was a lot. Jesus provided a lot for them. So don't buy into the nonsense when people tell you uh, some of that other bunk. 153 fish were there. Where the heck am I at on my paper? Now, verse 12. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Question here. They had just spent three and a half years with Jesus. Why the whole debate whether who it was or not? Didn't they recognize him? After Jesus died and then rose again, He had a new body. We call it a resurrected body. A glorified body. Let me read to you from Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Which says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Jesus, after he died and rose again, he had a new body. That's why they didn't recognize him at first. That's why when they knew it was the Lord, they got there. He didn't look like he did when he did for those three and a half years that he was with them. He had a new glorified body. And for people who've put their faith in Jesus Christ to forgive their sins, when we die, we will go to heaven with Jesus, and we will have a new glorified body. And some of you will say, Amen. Give me a new body. This one's broken down. I've got neck problems, knee problems, back problems. I'm overweight. Give me that new body, Lord. And if we've put our faith in Jesus to forgive our sins, he will give us a home in heaven and a new body. That's why they didn't recognize him at first, because he had this new body. Verse 13, then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This is amazing to me. Jesus is the Lord. Remember that. They already recognize. He's the Lord. He is God, yet God served them. We should be serving him, and we try to, but God still serves us. Just two weeks before this, Jesus served them by washing their feet, and here He is serving them again. Jesus served them the bread and the fish. Verse fourteen. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to His disciples since He had been raised from the dead. Remember, the previous on, on the day that He rose, Luke twenty four thirty six, He appeared to all the disciples except uh, Thomas wasn't there that day. Then in uh, John twenty twenty six, He appeared to all of them with Thomas just four days before. Verse 15. Well, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter. Here we're getting to uh, Simon. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Who are the these? Who's he talking about? Are the these the other disciples that were there, the other six guys? Because, you know, honestly, Peter's the guy who jumped out and swam to Jesus. He obviously loved him more than these other six. He wasn't referring to them. He was referring to those 153 fish. Do you love me more than you love all these fish? Because remember, Peter was a fisherman by trade, having a big haul, 153 fish, cha-ching, dollar signs. Do you love me, Peter, more than you love money? Do you love me, Peter, more than you love the thrill of fishing? Do you love me more than these? Well, yes, Lord. Here he's calling him Lord. Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs. And I love this. Because this word lambs here is talking about young sheep. We're thinking about today, we got to present Christopher Roy Clark before the Lord. This is a young sheep. And part of Jacob and Courtney's call from the Lord is to feed Christopher. To feed him spiritually and physically. And we know they're going to care for him physically, but we also are dedicating them to care for him spiritually. To feed the young sheep. Verse 16, Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Now he's not talking about the little ones now. He's talking about older sheep. So people of all ages, take care of them. Feed them, take care of them. Verse 17, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. Jesus, you've got this new resurrected body. Do your ears work? In this new resurrected body, are you you're not hearing me well? Peter was hurt that he asked the question a third time, and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I want to stop and just make a couple observations here. Why did Jesus ask Peter three times about loving? The sheep? Didn't he believe him the first two times? Was he testing him? Why three times? Yeah, if you remember last week in our message, we said that Peter failed as a leader by denying Jesus three times. Jesus was giving him three opportunities, one for every denial, to reaffirm his love and devotion to Jesus. Jesus was doing that not for himself to finally be convinced, but he was doing it for Peter so that Peter could realize, yes, I am loved. I am uh, devoted to Jesus. If you're like me, when you fail and you sin, and we all do. If you're like me, when you do, you feel terrible. You feel guilty. You feel, God, how could I do that? I'm sorry that I lied. I'm sorry that I spoke that way to somebody. I'm sorry that I looked at that. And sometimes I have a hard time getting over it myself. And Jesus helped Peter get over it. He helps us to get over it. Jesus gives us another chance. Your life and your ministry is not over because of your past failures. You're welcomed back and given new ministry to do. That's the first observation. Second observation is this word love. Now, uh, a few months ago, we mentioned here in one of the messages that there's actually three different words in the Greek language that the Bible was written in for the word love. Does anybody remember what any of those words are? Yeah, Pete, what is one of them? What do you think? Agape is one of them. What's another one of them? Philia, or Philos, and the third one? Eros, yeah. So the eros, like erotic, that's a romantic love between a husband and a wife, the eros. The, the agape, that is uh, an unconditional, enduring love. And the philos, we get the city, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's a brotherly, that's an affectionate and devoted love. I know that, that Jacob and his brother Ben are very close As brothers, they've got that philos love, devoted love, affectionate love for each other. Guess what word is used here in the word love? The first two times Jesus asked him, Do you agape me? In other words, is your love for me enduring? Do you still love me? The third time Jesus asked him, Do you philos me? Are you devoted and affectionate, you know, brothers, close brothers here? That's how Jesus spoke. Every time when Peter answered him, you know that I love you, he used the word philos. He was saying, I'm more than agape you, Jesus. I'm more than enduring. I'm devoted. I'm affectionate to you. You're my brother. You're my friend. That's how Peter replied to him with that love. Verse 18. Let's close this down here. Uh, We've been reading a long time. I tell you the truth, when you were young, Jesus is saying this, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands. And others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus told him this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. And if you remember last week, we said that in the year 64 or 65 A.D., Peter was crucified. He was crucified. In fact, uh, he did that to follow Jesus in death. He was crucified like Jesus was. His arms were stretched out to go where he didn't want to go. But Peter, remember we said last week, he actually was crucified upside down because he said I'm not worthy of being crucified the same way that, that Jesus was. Verse 20. Jesus, or Peter turned around and he saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had learned, who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, Well, what about him, Lord? Okay, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna be crucified. What about that guy? Here, Peter had just had this great moment, this great repentant moment, this great restoration moment with Jesus, and then he's got to go and ruin it by saying, Well, what about him? What's it gonna happen to him? Jesus replied, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? Mind your own stinking business, Peter. Don't worry about him. You worry about you. You, as for you, follow me. Do what I tell you to do. He's saying, hey, don't worry about other people. Don't worry about their position. Don't worry about their possessions. Don't worry about their popularity. Just do what God has given you to do. Be who God is making you To be and follow Jesus. All right, that's a long time going through that passage. Just going to look at a few things from that passage for us as leaders. Things that can transform us to be leaders like Peter. Uh, Three specific things, three ways that we can shepherd other people like Peter. First of all, and this is going to go quick. Teaching God's Word so it grows God's people. In verse 15 and verse 17, Jesus told Peter to feed my sheep. First verse 15, feed my little lambs. Verse 17, feed my sheep. He was talking about people, he was talking about his people. Leaders in the church teach people God's Word and teach it well teach it in a way where they actually grow from it. When you feed a sheep and give it good food, it's going to grow. When we teach God's Word in our church, we want it to help people to grow. But it's not just for leaders like Peter. It's not just for elders, pastors, deacons in the church. Every one of us sitting here today, we can teach God's Word to other people. Jacob and Courtney stood here and promised we're going to teach God's Word to Christopher. We're going to feed him spiritually. Parents and grandparents. Simply, how do you feed other people? It's Simply, as you read God's Word, as you read the Bible, and God shows you things, and He speaks to you through His Word, you share that with somebody else, and you're feeding that person. So parents and grandparents, share every day with your kids, with your grandkids, the Scriptures that God is showing you. It means that you've got to be in God's Word every day so you can share that and feed somebody else every day. And you might say, man, being in God's Word every day, that's quite a commitment. Well, we eat three times a day. And if you're like me, you eat more than three times a day. We feed ourselves physical food three times a day. We can feed on spiritual food throughout the day. And it's not just for for adults. You kids, we've got some great young adults here, some great students here. As you're reading God's Word, share that with other people. A verse that God showed you. You can feed other people that way. Make it a habit to daily feed yourself and to also daily feed other people by sharing with them. Second thing, shepherds, uh, they feed the sheep, but they also shepherd the sheep. And the word here that Jesus said is care for them. Take care of them. Verse 16, he said, take care of my sheep. I want you to notice that this word my, that's a possessive word. Jesus is saying that he's the owner of the sheep. Each one of us, we belong to him. We're his. So he's telling leaders, parents in the home, grandparents, church leaders, that we're to be stewards of the people he's entrusted to us. That's why we mentioned that that, that Christopher has been entrusted to Jacob and to Courtney. <coughs> so we take good care of them. Four and a half years ago, I was in Chicago. I was overseeing some student uh, missions, ministry things going on in Chicago. And I got a, a text message uh, from this, this kid, young guy named Jared. And Jared said, hey, how long are you going to be in Chicago? So I'm going home Saturday morning. He said, well, I'm up in Michigan. Could I meet you on the Indiana Turnpike and take you out to breakfast? I'm like, dude, I'm never going to turn down eggs and bacon. Let's do it. Now, this young man, Jared, he uh, had been dating my daughter for a few years, so I knew it was going to happen. I mean, I'm Polish, but I'm not that dumb. I know what's going on. So we get to breakfast, and it's raining outside, and we're in there. And about 20 minutes go by, and it's the small talk. What's the summer been like, uh, all this stuff. And so you, yeah, you do know me. I'm not the most patient cat. So I'm like, all right, are you going to do this or are you, aren't you? you? So I'm like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do here? Should I bring it up? Should I let him bring it up? So I just, I just, I said what I was saying. I said, like, okay, Jared, I'm trying to make a decision here. I'm asking the Lord what he wants me to do. Um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I should bring it up or if I should just let you bring it up. He goes, well, I'll bring it up. And he wanted to ask for permission to, um, to marry my daughter. And then a year later, um, married him to my daughter. Um, when he was asking me permission, I had to explain something to him. Say, hey, I want you to understand that Mackenzie, um, my, my wife and I, we love her very much. She's our firstborn. We believe God entrusted her to us. We've been watching over her, protecting her, caring for her, And if I'm going to let you marry her, I'm handing those responsibilities over to you. And I don't take those responsibilities lightly, and you better stinking not either take them lightly. Because you're a steward of this precious creation, this precious child of God. So as a pastor, I'm a steward of y'all, people that God has entrusted to me. You're His precious people. It's my role as pastor to help care for, to feed you all God's Word well. And you all are stewards of the people God's entrusted to you. Kids, stepkids, grandkids, other believers, to care for them. I love how this church cares for each other. Fellowships with each other, interacts with each other. I love how we care. This word, take care of. This is where we get the word shepherd. It actually means to shepherd. And there's, there's three different ways that, that people shepherd. Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't a shepherd. But in that culture, shepherds were common, and he knew what shepherds did. Shepherds did three things. First of all, shepherds give direction. They direct their sheep. They show them which way to go, not just by pointing it out, but by leading them. They lead by example. So for us, we set the example for other people. How to live. Lead them. Give direction for your family, for the church. In our lives, it's important for older believers to give direction to younger believers. Because older believers, you've been through the ropes before. You've learned from your own mistakes. I hope that you've learned. I hope that I've learned. And we can help the younger generation avoid those mistakes. We give them direction as we take care of them. Also, We give them protection. Sheep have natural predators and enemies. Wolves, lions, coyotes. The shepherd defends the sheep. The shepherd protects the sheep. When David, who wrote that psalm that we read at the beginning of the service, when he was a shepherd, what was his weapon of protection? Does anybody know? He used it against the giant. Yeah, it's a slingshot. He used a slingshot to protect sheep. How do we protect God's sheep? Well, we've mentioned it earlier against false teachers that are out there. But our biggest weapon is not a slingshot. It's prayer. Because our greatest enemy, our greatest predator for ourselves and our young people is Satan. He wants to deceive them. And I was having breakfast yesterday with my two sons. And I was telling them how, you know what, it was easier when I was growing up to follow Jesus than it is today. We didn't have computers. We didn't have, you know, when I grew up in of you guys, same thing, you had three television channels, not 150, and all these other things can distract us. It was easier then, but today Satan has so many opportunities through the computer, through wasted time on the screen, on a phone, all these other things, that we've got to pray for protection for our kids, for our young people. So parents, prayer every day. So shepherds, we we direct, we protect, and then shepherds also correct. If a sheep is going the wrong direction, if he's drinking water from dirty, muddy, unhealthy water, if he's eating thistles and thorns instead of the good grass, the shepherd has to correct them. you remember the 23rd Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, he leads me beside uh, green, all that stuff. When he says that uh, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. Now, a lot of times we think the rod and the staff, that's what we use to protect, right? I'm like Gandalf, whack, whack with that rod and the staff. The rod and the staff, that wasn't used to protect. That was used to correct. When a little sheep would go the wrong way, the shepherd might have to rescue him with the crook. But if he kept going the wrong way and that was a habit, the shepherd would actually take that staff And he would whack that sheep on the leg and break its leg and then leave them for the wolves. Have at it, wolves. No, he wouldn't leave them for the wolves. He'd break the leg and then he would put that sheep over his shoulders and carry him until that leg healed. And when that sheep was so close to the, the shepherd's voice and the shepherd's heart that after he was healed, he would never leave that shepherd's side. So sometimes the Lord corrects us And and wounds us for our own good To keep us close by We've got to correct people sometimes If you're like me You like to avoid conflict Correcting people is not High on your uh, Fun things to do list Uh, When you correct somebody They can feel judged They can get defensive They can feel unloved But the most loving thing you can do Is get somebody off the wrong path If they're on a pathway to destruction so, so, So get them off that path. Some of the best growth moments in my life have been when people have corrected me. And leaders will correct other people. Let's close finally. What do leaders do? Our motive. Our motive is love and devotion to Jesus. Three times Peter told Jesus, I do love you. And as a result of that love, Jesus said, feed my sheep. We shepherd people, we feed them, we correct them, protect them, and direct them because we love Jesus. Honestly, sometimes we don't love people, right? Sometimes people get on our nerves. They get sideways with us. We don't always love people, but we always love Jesus. So I can shepherd people, even if I'm not crazy about the people, because we love Jesus. We're motivated by that love for him. And honestly, it's because of his great love for us. Jesus just demonstrated love for Peter by forgiving him of Peter denying him. And Jesus loves and forgives us, too. So I'm motivated by love for him and devotion to him. When Jesus said, follow me, he was saying, hey, you're going to stretch out your arms. You're going to follow me to the cross. So following Jesus is a demonstration of devotion. Remember, Peter hung upside down with his arms stretched. Do you remember that picture of the shore of the Sea of Galilee? Uh, Twenty-eight months ago, I was sitting there. And I was reading this passage, John 21. And as I was sitting there, and when Jesus said, um, when you were young, you went, you went where you wanted to go. When you're old, you're going to go where you don't want to go. I had plans. You see, I had plans. We moved here 10 years ago from the west, from Montana. And my plans were, you know, after our parents pass away, because that's why we moved out this direction, we're going back. We're going back to the mountains, back to Montana or Wyoming or something. I can do ministry out there, but that's my plans. I'm going back. And as I sat on that shore 28 months ago, I was reading, and Jesus said, hey, you know what, when you were young, you went where you wanted to go. But as you're older, you're going to go where you don't want to go. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I can't go back out there? He's like, well, you can go back out there. You're just not moving back out there. Those were your plans. My plans are for you to stay here. And within days, while I was there, Um, The Lord was talking about starting this church, Freedom Bible Church. And a number of you all were part of it from the beginning there. If I'm going to shepherd God's people, I've got to die to my own dreams. You know, people talk about, go ahead and pursue your dreams. A lot of times that ends up in disappointment. Pursue the Lord's dreams because he says, I've got dreams and plans for you. And my plans for you are to feed my sheep, no matter where you're at. to to teach people God's word, to shepherd people. I've learned plenty of times from failure over these last 43 years that Jesus is our good Lord. He welcomes us back and he gives us a new job, a new assignment. Uh, Last week we saw how Peter failed and now Jesus restored him. You may have failed, but he can restore you too and give you the job of shepherding. So what do we do this week? Here's our challenge. Uh, It's in your program. Memorize John 15 or 13:35. Uh, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So we show love like he told Peter to do. And then read 1 John 1 through 5 this week. Ask God, who do you want me to shepherd? Who do you want me to feed, to direct, to protect, and or correct this week? Who do you want me to do that? Uh, Next week, next week, uh, Pastor Josh Wall, one of our deacons, is going to be preaching. Um, I get on a plane in about uh, two and a half hours. Got to go to Florida. Sorry. Somebody's got to go. But we have our, our disciple making conference. I'll be doing a lot of training down there, and I'll be gone next weekend. Um, so Josh will be preaching next weekend. Welcome everybody back. We'd love to see you next week. Uh, would you pray with me, please? Uh, Father, I know we had a lot to say to, today, Lord. Your word in John 21 just has a lot of beef to it, Father, a lot of thickness. And I pray that we, we can identify with Peter, Lord, that we're failures who have gotten back up and turned back to you, and, and you've welcomed us back. You've allowed us to reaffirm our love and devotion to you, that we love you, God. We love you, and we thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. And thank you, Jesus, that our life is not over after our failures. But we can get up and be used by you, and that's what you were doing with Peter. You were using him in ministry. And we know that through the rest of Peter's life, he's still going to fall down but you still used him, and we want to be used like that, God. So help us today to teach your word to other people. Help us, God, to to protect, to correct, and to wreck other people. And, God, our prayer, our motivation would be love and devotion to you. I uh, Pray that as we read your word today, our love and devotion to you grew because of how great you are. We love you and thank you. And we, again, pray your blessing over Christopher Roy Clark and Jacob and Courtney and all their family and all our church, Lord that we would all together see this next generation grow to follow and serve Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. We pray through Jesus. Amen.